We have the privilege now of looking to the Lord together to hear from His Word. Pastor John and his family are on a trip right now. Uh, Molly's participating in a gymnastics competition. And so I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to us this morning. Um, and before we read it, I just, I just want to give a little bit of context for where we're picking up, because we're skipping over a few chapters in the book of Exodus. And as we pick up now in Exodus 24, uh, the, the chapters that we move past are a series of civil and ceremonial regulations that God gave to Israel about a number of topics, altars, slaves, restitution, social justice, Sabbath festivals, so on. And these rules are really filling out the covenant stipulations that God was giving to his people back in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. And so here in chapter 24, the Lord is ratifying his covenant with Israel uh, through his mediator Moses. And we glean some important truths from this section, uh, the interchange between God and his people, the events that happen in this chapter as it relates to how people like us can relate with a God like the Lord. And so, uh, please turn to Exodus 24, and let's give ear to the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, a bright, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone, with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain. 
And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our good God and Father, we thank you for speaking to us, for being a God who doesn't leave us guessing as to who you are and, and who you call us to be before you. We do ask this morning, O oh Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would lift us to yourself, and that you would show us wonderful things from your word, and that we might truly look to you in faith in Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Friends, you and I live in a country with many, many, many laws. <laughs> really, if you think about it, there's, there's so many laws that most of us don't know the half of them. And even the ones that we do know, do we really understand them? Do we always keep them? Take the speed limit, for instance. Is it really a strict rule, or is it more of just like a general guide? Uh, Certainly, we've all driven faster than the posted speed limit, at least once, this week. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Um, but I came across this article on KSL titled, If you don't think going five miles per hour over will get you a ticket, UHP says think again. Well, maybe uh, the highway patrol is a little more serious about speed limits than we usually are. But I also wonder if we sometimes think of God's law like the speed limit. It's a helpful guide, but no one really expects you to strictly obey it. It seems that our passage in Exodus here would, would challenge that way of thinking, though. The Lord is quite serious about the covenant stipulations, the commands that he gives to his people. And after all, like we heard last week, the Lord is an awesome holy God. This morning we're going to consider the nature of God's arrangement with his people, and as we unpack this chapter in Exodus, uh, we're going to consider it under three points. First, the book. Second, the blood. And third, the meal. The book, the blood, and the meal. And the most important thing that I want us to hear, that we need to hear, is that the blood of Christ is all that we need to be near to God forever. The blood of Christ is all that we need to be near to God forever. And so our first point, the book, the book. God relates in this passage and in history to his people by means of covenant arrangements. What, what that means is he sets forth all the conditions, the blessings, and the sanctions of his relationship with his people. And then the people respond, right? So God says, here's how it works, and, the, and this is, you know, what you are called to do. Now, in our everyday lives, um, we're not used to, really used to that kind of formality, right? Here's how the relationship is going to work. Let me lay it out in detail. <laughs> but that's actually the lifeblood of any contract lawyer, right? Uh, any contract lawyer will tell you all about the promises, the conditions, the sanctions of relationship agreements between businesses and and even professionals and individuals. Well, in the time of Israel, there weren't contract lawyers, <laughs> but this was a familiar concept to them because the conquering king in those times would customarily set forth this kind of covenant arrangement uh, with the people who were conquered. 
Uh, he would provide all the details of how the relationship would work, uh, what duties were required of the people, and also what protections they would receive in return from the king. So as Moses is reading this book of the covenant to the people, God is doing something that the people would have been familiar with. They would have understood what was going on here. This was a covenant arrangement. But the real question we have to ask is, what did that covenant look like? What was God's relationship with his people? And our text gives us several clues. If you look at verse 3, right? Moses went and told all the people what the words and the laws of the Lord were. The words and the laws. Uh, The words most likely referring to the ten words of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And the Lord's laws most likely referring to the regulations in the chapters that we, uh, that we moved past in 21 through 23 that concerns civil life and, and religious worship of Israel. But then verse 7 tells us that Moses read the book of the covenant in the hearing of all the people. And so they all knew what was required of them to experience God's blessing. And how do they respond? Look back at verse 3, the end of it. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And again in verse 7, right? We will do everything that the Lord has said, we will obey. Well, they're certainly enthusiastic, right? And as I was reading this, it made me think, um, it's, it's a little bit like a wedding. Now, I love weddings. Uh, they're beautiful, not just you know, for the fun and the, and the food that you get to enjoy after the ceremony, but really the, the beauty of the vows that this young couple is making, well, often young couple, uh, that they exchange with one another, these promises that they, that they exchange of, of faithfulness. Uh, so amazing. But, but if you talk to any couple that's been married for you know, 20 years or more, uh, they'll look back on that day and they'll probably say something like, I had no idea what I, was, what I was promising. I had no idea what it would take to, ma- to maintain and stay faithful to those vows through all the unexpected challenges and difficulties and trials that came our way. Right? Um, these two young people barely even knew each other when they said, I do. So the Israelites, in some ways, were kind of like a young couple, naive in their zeal, to obey the Lord. Here they are twice insisting that we will do it. We will obey. Yet, just a few weeks later, there they are worshiping a golden calf. You see, they had been delivered out of slavery to Egypt. They were free. What an amazing thing. And so when they hear this book of the covenant and they hear all that the Lord requires, they begin to think, okay, yeah, we can do this. We can... We can keep our freedom in the land that God has promised. We can do it if only we obey. But friends, that's the problem. You can't obey your way into something that God has freely promised to give you. And that's what the Apostle Paul says to the the church in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. He says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, did you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, he says. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. You see, the covenant that God made here with the people of Israel is clearly a matter of law and obedience. But that doesn't nullify the covenant that God made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Right? This promise that God was giving to his people. See, the law was a guardian. It was a temporary and provisional arrangement to prepare the people for what they really needed. God knew that the people could never obey all that he commanded, no matter how they insisted. The law was intended to show them their sin. It was intended to reveal to them that they needed to look outside of themselves for someone to be obedient in their place. Friends, any attempt to secure your relationship with God by your obedience is exchanging freedom for slavery. You become a slave to the law, and the law is a harsh taskmaster. But if you see what God's perfect law is actually pointing you to, the promise of eternal life received by faith, then you'll know the true freedom of the children of God. If you're trapped right now, if you feel trapped as a slave to performance, whether that's before God, whether that's in your work with your boss, or with your friends, or, or even family, the Lord wants to set you free. So that brings us to our second point, the blood. The blood. You might think it odd, um, the ceremony surrounding the making of this covenant, uh, that it involves so much blood. Uh, it's, it's a foreign thing to us, right? There's, there's no blood here this morning. Um, but here we see the sacrificial oxen being brought to the altar. Their blood splashed against the altar. The other half saved in a bowl so Moses can sprinkle it all over the people. Imagine if we did that in our worship services, huh? What a mess. <laughs> what, a, what a messy ordeal it must have been, right? Consider what that must have looked like. Why? Well, there's at least two reasons. First, the blood of the animals is symbolic of the seriousness of the terms of this covenant. It's basically saying that if one party doesn't fulfill their obligation, then may what happened to this animal happen to me. So God's law is more than just a general guide. It is a strict rule of what God requires and also of what God promises. But that also reveals the second reason for the blood. It addresses the problem of sin. You see, God can't simply overlook the disobedience of his people. His holiness requires that sin must be dealt with. So he's not going to make excuses for them or 
or see their good deeds and, and say, oh, that, that can outweigh your bad deeds. He's not even going to accept the, all their religious activity to make up for their moral failing. And it's telling that the next time that the Exodus account speaks of the people offering these kinds of sacrifices, right, the exact ones, burn offerings and peace offerings, it's when they're offering them to a golden idol of their own making. Anytime you and I fail to uphold all that God commands in his law, we sin. And what does every sin deserve from a holy God? We recited it earlier. Even the least sin deserves God's wrath and curse in this life and in the life to come. Our sin is a serious problem. And that's why blood features so prominently in this covenant ceremony. Sin calls for death, which is the end result of God's wrath and curse. Blood needs to be spilled in order for the people to go on living. There needs to be a substitute, a means for God's wrath against their sin to be satisfied. But as we look back at this, we can affirm with the author of Hebrews that the blood of animals would never suffice. Hebrews 10.4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the blood of these animals, just like God's law, his covenant, is pointing to a greater reality. A substitute whose blood would be spilled to fully cover the sins of his people. A mediator who could put away the wrath of God forever and receive all who call on him in faith. Friends, you and I could never fulfill the Lord's covenant stipulations. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, did for us. So instead of insisting that, that we will do all that the Lord has spoken, we can say all that the Lord has done, Christ has done. All the Lord has said, Christ has done, so that we could be near to God forever. But the people of Israel, they didn't yet have that reality. So the law stood as a constant reminder that they don't have what it takes to approach the Lord. So even though the people were represented before God, right, the altar and the, and the 12 pillars representing all the tribes of Israel that Moses made, even though they were sprinkled with the blood, only Moses and Aaron and his sons and the elders could come up to God. And yet even they have to, verse 1 says, worship at a distance. <laughs> they must not come near. Moses alone was invited to come near to the Lord. And the people, of course, they had to stay at the base of the mountain and wait while Moses and Aaron and the leaders met with God. And that leads us now to our third and final point, the meal. In the midst of all that was happening in this uh, series of events with the altar and the blood and the book of the covenant, you have to wonder, here's these men going up to meet with God, uh, to worship him. What would that look like? I, I wonder what they were expecting when they met with him. Probably not what we read in verses 9 to 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. 
Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, or some translations say sapphire. This blue, right, this clear sky, um, as clear and blue as, as the sky above. And, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. They saw God. <laughs> well, they saw his feet, <laughs> right? The, they saw his footstool. <laughs> and, of course, God doesn't actually have feet, <laughs> right? This, this is... This is Moses attempting to put into words the glory of God, something that is truly inexpressible, uh, beyond description. But the point is, they saw a vision of God's glory. This is how near they were to the Lord. The Lord who dwelt on this mountain with thick, dark clouds and blasting trumpets, fire and lightnings. And then there's this really interesting note. You might have missed it uh, in verse 11. It says, God did not raise his hand against these leaders. It means they didn't die. <laughs> they didn't die in the presence of God. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and it's worth noting that. It's important because when you approach a holy God and, and you see his glory, it was expected that you might not actually make it back alive. This is how awesome our God is. But not only did these men survive this amazing encounter with the Lord, but they shared a meal with him. Probably not what they were expecting to do. But this meal was an expression of intimacy, of acceptance. The meal was also another custom of the covenant-making ceremony of their time and place. The conquering king, right, would come and, and participate in this meal uh, between the people, with the people, symbolizing the peace that they now shared. And so this meal that God shares with his people means that there's peace between God and Israel. He would be their God, and they would be his people. However, this promise would come with the many provisions of the Sinai Covenant. Right? Under this covenant, there would always be some measured distance between God and the people. There would always be this, this gap. Well, eventually, the meal that they shared and this amazing experience came to an end. The leaders had to go back down the mountain. Moses appoints Aaron and Hur to deal with things while he's gone meeting with the Lord, right? Anything that might arise or go wrong, which does. But a day was coming when it wouldn't just be Moses who would go up the mountain into the cloud, who could approach God, right? Friends, the day has come, even now, today, when all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who look to Jesus in faith. We can be purified by His blood. Brought near to the throne of God as His own beloved children. That means that you and I can experience an intimacy with God that the people of Israel could, could only just imagine. This intimacy that we have by the Spirit of God being poured out in our hearts and lives. We were made for this. And you don't even need to be a leader of God's people. To have full access to the Father 
You only need to look to Jesus, whose blood is sufficient to cover even the worst of your sins and to secure you a place with a holy God forever. Friends, the hope that we have in Christ, the, the hope that was only hinted at in the types and shadows of the Old Testament, will be found in the very presence of God. Not only beholding His feet, but gazing upon His face. The fullness of His glory, feasting together for all eternity. So no matter where you are today, no matter how far you may have strayed, know this, the blood of Christ is all you need to be near to God forever. And so to wrap up, this worship service, our gathering here, even this morning, our singing, our praying, hearing God's word and, and eating his covenant meal, right? It's putting us in touch with a greater reality, with something that is greater than what we see, right? We, we, we don't have a fiery mountain. We don't have blasting trumpets. But we are truly engaging with a heavenly reality. As Hebrews 12 says, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the, and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Brothers and sisters, may that blood be your strength and your confidence as you rest your faith in Jesus alone. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, we need you. We need your blood, Lord Jesus, to wash us of our sin. We can't do it on our own. And we know that, Lord Jesus, you have done what we could never do so that we might have hope. So may our faith be strengthened, and may our hope be secure, because we look to you, and uh, not to ourselves, the one who has done it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.